Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Leaving the Field by Pastor Sean Wood. We thank you for your word and I, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. I pray that your word would find good soil in our hearts this morning. Your word never returned void. Your word is powerful and it is living and it is active. And so, Lord, right now we surrender ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit to do his wonderful work in our hearts through your word and your wonderful name. Amen. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you'd like to meet me in Luke 15. We finished the last of our uh, three-part series through the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, I'm mindful of... Uh, My heart is because there is great power in the gospel. I believe that there's great power in the message of the gospel. I believe that uh, the gospel is under attack today. The truth of the gospel is under attack. Uh, Many would seek to water down that truth and make it more palatable for others. But I'm reminded of the words of Paul this week in Galatians. Uh, For those who who don't know, the book of Romans and the book of Galatians, they're both what we call gospel epistles. What that basically means is from the start to the end, they're just one big message of the gospel. And I love Galatians. Um, For those who know what happened at the Reformation with Martin Luther, you will know that Galatians is the book that set Martin Luther free. Um, uh, A man that would spend, Martin Luther was a man that would spend up to six hours in confessional trying to confess away all of his sins. And then, then when he walked out, he says, I still feel as unholy as I did when I walked in. And we're, we're going to cover that today. But I love what Paul says to the Galatians. A little bit of background in a moment, but right at the start of verse 3, he greets the Galatians and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. And for those that were here for part one, I need to be really clear this morning. Uh, any gospel this morning, any any message you hear, any Jesus you're introduced to this morning, that, that, that is all about the love of God, that's all about the acceptance of God, is all about the tolerance of God, all those things are true. But you can't have the gospel without a Jesus that actively confronts the sin in our lives. Jesus came, he says, he gave himself. Why? Not to make your life better, not to make you healthy, wealthy and wise. Jesus gave himself for our sins. To deliver us from this present evil age. And for those that were here for part one, when we had a look at the younger brother, we understand that there was distance between the young son and the father. And that distance was caused by the young son. He was the one that moved. He wanted to go into a far country. And and Augustine says that the far country is forgetfulness of God. We live in a culture today that wants to forget about God. We live in a culture today that says God is dead and the church is irrelevant. Now is the time, more about this on the 26th, but now is the time for us as the people of God to stand up for the truth of the gospel. The gospel, uh, I've laid out this disclaimer over the last couple of weeks, I'll lay it out again, the gospel is offensive. Jesus was offensive. But he was offensive to those that wanted to have all the pomp and ceremony on the outside and tuck their sins away. He was offensive to those who looked down their nose at other people. He was offensive to those who would put hurdles and roadblocks in the way of others coming to God. Jesus came to remove all of those hurdles. There is nothing between you and God this morning. You might say, well, you don't know what I've done in the past. Well, I don't need to because it's the past. 
And you can put it all behind you today. More about that in a moment. Has delivered us from this present evil age. Age is not a definition of time, but rather speaks to our current popular culture and the secular world that we live in today. According to the will of God, our Father. I love that word, Father. Uh, and you can't go through the parable of the prodigal son without exposing the word father. But for those who were here last week, Jesus uh, was almost speaking heresy into the ears of the religious folk in the first century. Why? Because how dare you reference God as our father? But Jesus speaks of God as our father. And for those that were here last week, we understand that God is looking for you. He's waiting for you. He wants you. That's the message of the gospel is that you are wanted, you are valued, and you have a place in the family of God. Paul goes on and says, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting. That word deserting is a military term. It means to change allegiance. It doesn't just mean to run away. It means to actually go to the other side and bat with the other side. It's like when you finally go and become a Collingwood supporter. That's what this means. You're deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. A different gospel. What gospel were the Galatians talking to? Very important for where we're heading today. What had happened was the Christianity had exploded. The Roman Empire tried, but they couldn't stop it. The Jews and the religious leaders of the day tried, and they couldn't stop it. Paul tried and he got converted. That actually happens today, by the way. There are those that adamantly oppose Christ and they're getting converted. Praise his wonderful name. But according to the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, that different gospel was there were these troublemakers. Let's read on. It says that, note that there is another, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That word distort means to twist or to reverse. And what had happened in Galatia at the time was uh, these Jews, these Judaizers or these troublemakers had come in and said, look, we can't stop this Jesus movement, but you've got to have Jesus plus all the Jews. You, you've got to have Jesus plus circumcision. And all the men went, <laughs> all the men just crossed their legs. <laughs> you've got to have Jesus plus circumcision. You've got to have Jesus plus all the ceremonies and the rituals and, and whatever. You've got to have Jesus plus all of, the, all of the sacrifices and all of the ordinance inside of the temple. And Paul says, all those things are gone. I wasn't very good at maths when I was at school, but I want to give you a mathematical equation today that's not going to make sense, but it's enormously powerful. And this is the mathematical equation. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. What the troublemakers and the Judaizers decided they would do was, well, if you want to be saved and if you want to be in a right relationship with God, we'll, we'll kind of accept you, Jesus. You see, they're not denying Jesus. They're not definitely, definitely pushing Jesus away, but they're saying you've got to have Jesus plus all these rules and regulations. Well, God's not really going to accept you. You're not really saved unless you're circumcised. You're not really saved unless you do all these things. And Paul says that's not the gospel. And I don't know where you find yourself this morning, but if you find yourself in a, and you say, you know what, Christianity for me feels like a dry, barren bunch of rules and regulations, I have some enormous good news for you this morning. As we make our way to uh, Luke chapter 15, 
Uh, would like to meet me down in uh, verse 25. Uh, I want to introduce you to two people. These are real two people. Nobody listening this morning will know who they are, and they certainly won't be listening this morning. But I'd like to introduce you to two wonderful people. Their names are Brian and Jan. Uh, Brian and Jan could not naturally have children. Uh, they'd been married from a very young age. They were married in their teens, actually. Uh, and they were. Uh, by the time I got to know them, they were close to 60. So that's like very young, of course. But of course, but um, Brian and Jan had foster kids all of their life. They, they couldn't have kids themselves, so they decided to foster. And from the outside looking in, they just had they just had the kind of marriage everybody wanted. They had the kind of relationship everybody wanted. Every year, uh, all the all the foster carers and all of the kids that could, they, they kind of get together and have this big get together. And, and Brian and Jan were always there. And then one year, there was no Brian. And I remember going to Jan and going, Jan, where's Brian? Because uh, Brian was the sweetest man you've ever met. One of the sweetest, gentlest men. You, I, I, I can't remember a time when, when Brian had ever raised his voice. Jan would tell you the same thing. I said to Jan, I said, what's happened to Brian? I, of course, I'm thinking the worst. And she says, no, no, uh, Brian's okay. Um, she said, I guess I better tell you. She says, uh, uh, she says, me and Brian have split up. And we've got to do I said, Jan, how could this? You're kidding I said, you guys had a wonderful marriage. And she said, well, she said, you know what? Um, she said, Brian was a really lovely guy and he was always a great provider and he was always nice to me. And he says, I, she says, I can't remember when he ever yelled at me. She said, I can't remember when an argument lasted ever than, any more than about five minutes. She said, but I'm over 60 now, Sean. And she said, I just realised the other day. She said, we've been married for over 30 years and I can't remember that one time when Brian has said, I love you. I said, but Jen, you've gone crackers. I said, look at all the stuff Brian did. She said, yeah, all that stuff's wonderful. She said, I know what he's like, she says. But she said, I always felt like there was this distance. And although I've just described a marriage that had fallen apart, maybe I've just described your relationship with God. Maybe you can remember a time when you were saved and maybe there was a honeymoon period, but now you've gotten to the point where you go, you know what? Nobody can answer this question except for you this morning. Do you know the greatest, the greatest parable God has given us for our relationship with him is actually marriage? The best way we can understand how that works is, is the same. Paul says in Ephesians, uh, when he's talking about a man leaving and a woman leaving and cleaving, he says, I'm actually speaking about the mystery of the gospel. He's actually speaking about the mystery of our relationship with Jesus and what that looks like. And wherever you find yourself today, you might be saying, you know what, uh, I have kind of drifted. My hope and my prayer here is that you won't follow a set of rules, but that you'll fall in love with Jesus. The message of the gospel is not a message of you have to. It's not, God has not come to beat you over the head and to rub your nose in your sins. Jesus came so that you could be reunited with the Father. Let's begin in verse 25. And Now, his oldest son, we realised from last week, we've, we've talked about the younger son and the father, and now we come to the oldest son. And, and I, I, before we go any further, there's older son sitting in this room here this morning. Maybe at one period of time we've all been in this place, but the oldest son, the Pharisees and the scribes listening to this, they know they're the oldest son. 
I love how Jesus was offensive but loving all at the same time. Now, his oldest son, he was in the field. Note where this oldest son is. Uh, note he's out in the field and uh, later on we're going to see that when he comes to the father, he's going to say, but you don't seem to understand. I've been here the whole time. This young brat has run away, spoiled everything, spent everything. I've been here. Where do we find the oldest son? We find him out in the field, not in the house. The father's not out in the field. And I wonder whether we may be somewhat like the older son. I wonder whether you're in the field today. I don't want you to change fields. I'm asking you to leave the field today and come in. Your field may look like I can save myself because that's what it looked like for the Pharisees. Your field may look like you don't seem to understand. I'm a good person. Uh, I pay my taxes. I've got my 2.4 children. Mitchell's our 0.4 if you don't know. Mitchell's our... I'm a good person. Don't we hear the lingo today? I've got to be up front. I've, I've got to lovingly tell you today that this lingo just isn't correct. Recently, we lost three very prominent cricketers. Rod Marsh, Shane Warne and Andrew Simons. Andrew Simons, he was my favourite, Andrew Simons. The lips on him like a battleship. But anyway, aside from that, each one of them that passed away, they're going, oh, well, he's up there. He just may not be. In fact, when Andrew Simons died, everybody, a lot of people said, it's obvious that God is forming his cricket team. I've got to be honest with you this morning. From the outside looking in, there's a high chance they're not. There's a high chance they live their life out in the field thinking we're good enough to make it. Everybody goes to heaven, right? No, that's not the truth in the gospel. But the enemy has seductively and very quietly allowed everybody to believe, well, he's all good people. We all make it there somehow. That's not the truth of the gospel. You can't save yourself. What, was prob- what the problem was with the Pharisees was we will save ourselves. We will follow these rules. We will follow these regulations. We will keep the law and none of them could do it. The law was given to show us that exact point. We cannot save ourselves. Maybe your field looks like pride today. Maybe you're out there and, and pride, I will take care of myself. It's all right. God, I've got this. It's okay. It's kind of like Joshua and AI. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Joshua, but uh, after they go into the promised land and, and then they've seen the walls of Jericho fall by the power of God. And then there's this little city called AI. And Joshua does something enormously different that he hadn't done previously. He said, after a couple of guys have gone up, they come back and say, Joshua, look, mate, there's like two or 3,000. They said, we've got this. And it says, very pointedly, Joshua did not inquire of the Lord. And in Tasmanian terms, Israel went up there and had it handed to them. And they came back with their tail between their legs and Joshua changed tactics this time. Joshua realised 2,000, 3,000, 30,000, I can't do this on my own. Maybe your field is, I'm going to stay out here and I'm going to, I'm going to pay for my own sins. You don't have to pay for your sins today. That's enormously good news. To a German theologian by the name of Martin Luther, this was enormously good news. 
Because what he realised is, I can't work off my sins. <laughs> I can spend six hours in confessional and I'm just as sinful when I walked out than when I walked in, unless I have Jesus. Martin, here's some things, I've read a biography of Martin Luther that's, that's that thick. Here's a couple of things you may not know about Martin Luther. A, amazing man, by the way. But what you may not know is, he had such enormous seasons of um, depression due to the fact that he couldn't get over this hurdle with his sins, that his wife used to hide the knives. That all changed when he realised, I am justified by grace. I have a standing before God, not because of anything that I've done, not because of six hours in the confessional, because Jesus has liberated me from my sins. Friends, will you come out of the field today? There's people in this room today, we're going to touch on this a little bit more as we go along, but there's people in this room today that think you've got to be out in the field and get beaten up. You've got to, you've got to stay out there in your hurt. You've got to stay out there in your pain. You don't know what I've done, Pastor, in the past. Well, no, I may not do, but we're going to see that the field is no place for you. The older son we see, if we keep reading, although he was out in the field, he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. This should always be music and dancing. I want to digress for a moment. If you're here on a Sunday morning and you feel you want to break out into the Tassie two-step and start dancing, ladies and gentlemen, you go ahead and dance. There should be music and dancing in the house of God. Amen. We've seen Terry give it a crack. We've seen Harold give it a crack. So if you want to dance, you go ahead and dance. I do interpretive dance, by the way. It's where I dance and you get to interpret. His older son, and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. A couple of things we might need to know as we're moving forward is that, uh, by the way, the fattened calf just came out of the older son's inheritance. (laughs) Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Secondly, it was actually up to the older son to throw these kinds of celebrations. Traditionally, he would organise all of this. So he's been left out. He said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. I love this sentence. Because he has received him back safe and sound. That word safe and sound there, you will only find that term in the Gospel of Luke in this chapter. What it means is he had received him back. That that term received him back is to take back or to receive back something that you once possessed. You actually, no matter what choice anybody makes, I want to be clear about this, Each person here belongs to God. You don't have oxygen unless God gives it to you. You don't wake up tomorrow morning unless God allows it. People talk about their number falling down today. Your number doesn't fall down. God has your days in the palm of his hand. The scripture's clear about that. You don't know how many days there are, but God has you in the palm of his hand. Now, there's a lot of mystery and a lot we don't understand about that. I get that. But the reality is every single person actually belongs to God. But we run away and we go and do our own thing. And he received him back safe and sound. And safe and sound means this. He received him back with nothing missing. He received him back whole. There's people in this room today that need to know what wholeness is. God doesn't do half a job. God doesn't restore you a little bit. God has actually, we're going to see, God has made provision for us all to be whole. 
Isaiah 53.5 says that by his stripes we are healed. What that means is by the burden, by the sacrifice and by the suffering of Christ, we are healed. But that word in the Hebrew means, uh, which upsets a few apple carts, it actually means wholeness. And it's not a reference just to physical healing. I need to be clear. Because what Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 53, it's a messianic prophecy and it's talking about the future and it's talking about something that was new, something that had not been experienced before. In the Old Testament, they knew what physical healing was. Now, let me be clear before I go any further. You can be physically healed today by the miraculous, divine, supernatural power of Almighty God. And for those who read... The pastor's comments this morning, sometimes God heals and sometimes God strengthens the one carrying the burden. That's a story for another day. However, what that word wholeness means and what they had not experienced before is this is not partial. This is not uh, two thirds halfway. God has completely by the sacrifice of Christ made wholeness available to you today. Wholeness is far deeper than physical and it goes far, far deeper than the material. God has made spiritual wholeness available to you today. God has made emotional wholeness available to you today. That's the promise and the person and the completed work of Christ. And... Do you know, for those that come Sunday nights, next month we're going to start studying the book of Ecclesiastes. Profound book. But here's some of the things that that book unpacks. Uh, Here's a guy that goes on a journey. He basically says, look, I've got all the money. Everything you could possibly dream up that you want to do, I'm going to go and do it because I've got the money and I've got the means and I've got the resources. And he goes and does it. And he finds something enormously interesting that no matter what he did, he built himself elaborate gardens, had all the women and all those sorts of things. He says, you know what? I'm still empty. Forget about rock bottom. I have, and I'm talking to people in Brisbane that are up and out. What do I mean by that? They've climbed to the top of the pinnacle. They've they've been enormously successful in sport. They've been enormously successful in business. And they've reached the top. And you said, you know what? I'm still as empty today as I was when I started. And I thought I was going to get fulfilled with all of this. No, no, no. It's only here where you be whole. Receive the sun back. Let's read on. He has received him back safe and sound. But what does, what does the older son do? But he was angry and he refused to go in. He was angry. He had a, he had a smoldering bitterness. I want to be absolutely clear this morning. The only person the older son is hurting right now is himself. I'm going to stay outside. I'm going to hurt you, God, because of all the stuff that's happened to me. You know what? I'm going to hurt you. We're going to get to that in a moment. I'm going to hurt you and I'm going to stay out here. You're not hurting God. You're hurting you. I'm angry and I'm bitter and I'm going to stay out here. And, and, and as we go on, let's, let's read what else the, the, the older son's got to say. He's, he, <clears throat> but he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out. We're going to come back to this sentence in a moment. His father came out and entreated him, but he, he answered his father, look. doesn't use the word father. doesn't even address him as father. He says, look. These many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat. The first son said, give me. The second son says, gave me. What's the older son saying? I've been out in the field the whole time. I didn't go and blow my inheritance. 
I've been here serving you. I've been, and maybe that looks like today. Maybe we fast forward 2,000 years from this parable. And maybe what that sounds like is this. You know what, God? I've been in church my whole life. I've served you my whole life. I've, I've, I've faithfully given of my money. I've faithfully given of my time. But I'm angry because I've been hurt. I never signed up for that hurt. I I never signed up. I I had aspirations. Maybe you're sitting here and you had aspirations for ministry today. And you feel like you've been let down. You're disappointed with God. And you're angry with God. And I reckon if we're honest with ourselves long enough, all of us will say we've had times when we've been angry with God. The older son is... What's the older son saying to the father? You owe me. I love you enough this morning to tell you there is nothing you will ever do that will make God owe you anything. What does that sound like? There are gospels today that might tell you that if you've got enough faith... You can have whatever you want. There are Gospels today that say if you build up enough brownie points with God, then he'll give you all of this. What we're going to see is the reality is the older son's already been given everything. He just can't see it. You see, the older son here, to the older son, God's a business partner. The contract sounds like this. Well, I'll do this, God, as long as you do this. And God's a God of covenants. I get that. We're in the new covenant now, but there is no time when God owes us anything. It's the other way around. And often we get into our super spiritual clothes and we go, well, I'm not disappointed with God and I'm not angry with God. And sometimes it's healthy to sit by yourself and go, you know what? I'm angry with you, God. Job did it. David did it. Joseph did it. Joseph, God puts a dream in the heart of Joseph. Lesson number one, be careful who you share your dreams with. Joseph goes and tells his brothers, right? I love the story of Joseph. Why? Because right back here, God puts a dream in his heart. Joseph knows what it means. His brothers know what it means. His mum and dad knows what it means. Puts a dream in the heart of Joseph. Do you know, inside of that dream, Joseph never saw the pit. Joseph never saw Egypt. Joseph never saw the jail. Joseph never saw the the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker that forgot him while he was in jail, but went and pumped themselves up to the Pharaoh. But you know what? The whole time, the whole time, although Joseph can't see it, the whole time God can see Prime Minister of Egypt, Prime Minister of Egypt, Prime Minister of Egypt, Prime Minister of Egypt. To the point where Joseph would say at the end, you guys meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. What I love is the father's heart here. You know, the father runs and he embraces the younger son and he kisses the younger son. And what we see here is that the father comes out to the older son. (laughs) How many parents are sitting in the room going, I'd flog the both of them? In the name of Jesus, Liz. (laughs) But the father comes out and there's a really powerful word here. Can Can we just read this again? 
It says that his father came out and entreated him. It's a powerful word. That word in the Greek is parakaleo. And for the theologians among us this morning, you will know that parakaleo is also the same Greek word that describes the work and ministry of that wonderful person, the Holy Spirit. You see that word entreat there, it means to implore. It means to urge. It actually means to come out and to come alongside and to encourage. The work of the Holy Spirit is not to hold up a list of your sins and rub them in your nose. He'd need a pretty big piece of paper for me. It's not what, it's not what is happening here. What happen, the work of the Holy Spirit is to come alongside and to urge you. And what's he saying? Come in. Come in. Come in. Leave that hurt behind. Forgive that person. Leave that baggage behind. Leave those sins behind. You can't save yourself. You see, the older son is more about building a resume than building a relationship. Everything we do is not working towards relationship and acceptance, but everything we do, and there must be good works, of course, but everything we do flows from relationship. Isn't it the same in marriage? That's what Jan told me. She said, I I see all the wonderful things he does, but that's... (laughs) But her deep need was to be loved. bring this towards a close. Let's read these words again. But he was angry and refused to go in. Don't refuse to go in this morning. Don't stay outside when there is wholeness for you. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command and you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, listen to the language now. It's not my brother. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. My first pastor, God bless him, uh, gave me some of the best advice I think that I've had in a very long time. I can remember talking to him and I was evangelically ticked off, which was okay because I was in the Salvation Army, so they're very evangelical. And I, was, and I was talking about some other people that had done some pretty nasty stuff to me and, he, and all that. He said, you know what? He said, the greatest thing I needed to realise, and he was right, was that when I stand before God, no one else will be there. He said, none of these other people will be there. doesn't matter how many, how many times people hurt you, da, 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 you'll never be able to point and go, yes, but them. You will take responsibility for your own life in your own response. Don't, don't let hurt and unforgiveness and bitterness keep you outside. Don't let self-righteousness, and I will make myself, don't, don't let that keep you outside. Is your God looking at you in the morning when you look in the mirror? can't begin to describe what I look at when I see in the mirror. But But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property, always looking at somebody else. Comparison. And he said to him, I love the words of the father here, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. You're here fussing about young goats. (laughs) Everything I have is yours. 
The oldest son had missed it. He got wrapped up in goats and fattened calves and inheritances and forgot the fact that the greatest gift, the greatest uh, wealth that he had was the father. I don't know if this happens to anybody else, but every now and again I have a senior moment. Uh, My wife found a grey hair the other day, so apparently I'm a senior now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll leave my grey hairs outside. It's time to shave a little bit closer to the deck. I know what it means. Yeah, that's okay. But it's, I don't know if anybody else had a senior moment where you're running around the house frantic, pulling your hair out, which is pretty quick for me. I get that. But you're pulling your hair out and you're running around going, I'm looking for my phone. Where's my phone? And you turn the house upside down and you have a big panic attack. You're there for an hour. Where's my keys? Oh, it was here the whole time. How many, how many of us have done that and our, and our phones are in our pockets? Or Yeah. The really, the really spiritual people have done that. <laughs> and if there is one message to the older son today, is you're fussing about, you're, you're worried about rules and regulations, you're, you're wrapped up in form and pomp and ceremony, you're, you're dressing up the outside of the cup and dish, but you've missed it. I've been here the whole time, and you're running around, pulling your hair out, trying to make yourself righteous, trying to save yourself, and you're staying outside when you can come in and be whole. You missed it. I believe the Holy Spirit is tapping people on the shoulder. You've been outside for too long. The Holy Spirit doesn't tap me on the shoulder anymore. He gets the piece of 4B2 and smacks me around the head because I'm just too slow to get these things. As we finish this morning, I have a couple of questions. First one is this Are you in the field? Do you live every day trying to work off your shame? Do you live every day thinking you've got to earn brownie points before God? Are you letting everything you've done define who you are? I've come to learn something over the years. You know, people sometimes do great and awesome things and sometimes people do terrible things, but what people do doesn't equal who they are. What you've done doesn't equal who you are. Not in the sight of God. Are you out in the field? This morning, I wonder whether the Holy Spirit might be tapping you on the shoulder. Is it time for you to come in? Is it, maybe there's someone you need to forgive. Maybe there's someone you need to say sorry to. Maybe there's some baggage you need to leave outside. You know, in our journey with Christ, sometimes it's like flying. You ever been, uh, I don't know if anybody flies Jetstar. I don't often because, you know, I'd rather take a boat. I can swim, but I can't fly if something goes wrong. But I don't know if you've ever noticed, but uh, when you get to Jetstar, they weigh your luggage if you're overweight, you can't get on. Anybody ever notice that? Seven kilos is carry-on luggage. That's just my fishing gear. Like, <laughs> but if you're over, you can't get on. And I think there's some people saying, you've got to leave some baggage behind before you can get on. God wants to take you to a very wonderful place. The Holy Spirit's issuing a boarding call. You might need to leave some baggage behind.
that you today? Uh, I leave everybody with this encouragement, with these two words as we enter and leave. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God as we've worked our way through the, the story of the prodigal son. I don't know where you are. You may have never said yes to Jesus. Then please today, today let today be your day. You may be here and you may be saying to yourself, well, I've been, I've definitely surrendered to Christ and, and, and I loved him, but I've drifted away and I spend far too much time outside. Then wherever you find yourself, I give you the invitation to come in. Come into intimacy and into a relationship with the God who spoke the universe into existence and knitted you together, says the psalmist, in your mother's womb. Let's pray. Father, for every one of us in this room, I pray that we would feel the gentle urging of the Holy Spirit right now. Father God, for every, for every morsel we taste of you, Lord, we are hungry for more. I pray that we would come in. I pray, Lord God, that you would cut baggage off. I pray, Lord God, that shame would fall off and that each person would know the liberty and the freedom of your grace. As we sit here together, thank you, Jesus, that you came to deliver us You gave yourself for our sins. Father, today I entrust each and every one into your hands in your wonderful and glorious name. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.